Shalom, and thank you for listening to Progressively Jewish. This podcast coincides with Rosh Chodesh Iyar, when our ancestors have already left the land of slavery, but still on their journey to become the people and receive the moral and ethical precepts to live by on the mountain of Sinai. So this time is the time of transition and uncertainty for our people, which so many of us experience at different points through our lives. That's why we decided to dedicate this podcast to the innocent victims of the current war in Ukraine. I am delighted to introduce to you our guests, Rabbi Anna Wolfson, a development rabbi of the three Mosaic communities, Liberal Reform and Mazorti, and Rabbi Igor Zinkov, the rabbi of Liberal Jewish Synagogue and the co-chair of the World Union for Progressive Judaism Ukraine Emergency Fund. Just recently, um, and during my escape in Ukraine, um, I was quite surprised to get a call from two of my Russian friends, who are lovely people, and I'm sure meant really well, saying to me that they know that I got stuck in Kiev, and they're very sorry about it. And they advised me to stay there, not to go anywhere, and to wait for the Russian army to come and liberate me. And I was thinking, well, I'm here, you know, while the war is happening around me, and they're there in the safety. Who should be kind of, you know, going, going strangely, um, strangely mad? It should have been me rather than them. And that was the first shock realization of all the propaganda which was happening in Russia. And I completely missed that happening because I was so engaged and enjoyed my new journey within the UK, becoming British and uh, embracing my new culture. So I really missed that point of um, a small, tiny democracy uh, becoming an autocracy. And just recently, I was talking to a member of my family who I used to be very close to. And we had this big, big disagreement about what's happening now in Ukraine. And him saying to me that, well, Putin will teach you, the Westerners, the main lesson and put you on your knees. And I said, why, why that needs to be done? Like how you can justify the death, never mind of Ukrainians, but death of so many young Russian people. Generations of the best people have been lost for so many years in different wars in Afghanistan, in the first Chechnya war, in the second Chechnya war in Georgia, and now in Ukraine. I've been growing up during the Soviet Union, remembering that the generations of women didn't have partners to marry, there used to be a, a song saying that there are 10 girls for one boy, and actually that the way the statistics of the day, and how many young people have not been born, children have not been born as a result of these conflicts. And for me, that was such a saddening thing to think about how brainwashing is happening in different autocratic regimes, and how easily people can be zombified in certain beliefs, which actually destroys the relationship between people, destroy destroyed not just the relationship, but destroyed people's lives. When the value of human life, as the Talmud teaches, you know, when you save one life, it's like you save the world. It's not just diminishing, but it's disappearing. So I realized that it all starts with propaganda. And today it is an even more dangerous weapon than it ever was before. Before people had to print posters, make speeches, you know, send, people spreading rumors around, but today just controlling media and state television can give one access to tens of millions of people. And it made me actually realize what was happening during the Nazi regime in Germany. 
that's how so many people, millions of people, been brainwashed into the idea of their superiority. That's how many ordinary people like you, like me, were made believe that they could destroy and, and kill other people. Do you think we can do something to combat it? Can I ask Anna first? Um, I was reflecting on what you're thinking, and I think that it's happening in, in bigger and smaller scales throughout the world. And whilst Ukraine and, and other wars are this huge example of it, actually this brainwashing, this propaganda, not just in newspapers, not just controlled by state media, but of course the issue of algorithms and, and um, the internet means that people end up living kind of dual lives of information. The information I get may not be the information, the same information that you or someone else is getting. So when I'm shocked and horrified that someone believes X, Y, Z or has voted for X, Y, Z, they are equally as shocked and horrified that I didn't or whatever it might be. And we've seen that with um, Trump, with Brexit, with all of these different things changing in the world and with the response to refugees, I think, in this country and the number of things that we just kind of become desensitized to, I think. So when something blows up like a war, it, it shakes us. And, and, and we, in some ways, I say we, or um, I guess the society looks to there as a play, like, oh, over there. And with Ukraine, because it got even closer, I think, to, to the UK, there was a heightened sense of, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this has happened, but it was still there. Um, and my worry is that there, there are things that we can do as individuals. Um, and I, you know, I, I think of making sure that <laughs> if we hear things, we call them out, or certainly on our platforms as three rabbis, we think about what we're preaching about on, on a Shabbat morning and, and things like that. But I actually think this is a problem of, um, it, it, it's a structural problem. It's a problem that we, you know, we, the internet has been around in, in this big way since the early 2000s, the late 90s. It's a new thing. And we're starting to see um, how it causes issues. It, the internet's a wonderful thing. Amazing things can happen from it. But certainly there are cracks in it that need to be fixed, not to get rid of freedom of speech, but to allow the world to be in some way united again sounds idealistic, right? But the knowledge that we get needs to be knowledge. We need to be, have a way of questioning truths, of, of being part of the same society in, in the information we're giving. Uh, or, and and getting so I'll, I'll stop there because there's there's lots more that can be said I'll get up on my high horse but th those are some of the reflections I've been having yes uh, absolutely no as, as I always say education 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 and, and I'm sure Igor wants to really jump in because that's really touches the the subject he's very passionate about when it comes to the internet and uh, its accessibility today and they uh, also the consequences of um, all this fake news reaching millions of people yeah it's a huge and huge topic and uh, I don't really know where to start but I I think I'll start from um, speaking about one Russian drama theater director. He's quite famous. His name is Stanislavski. And uh, he used to tell his actors that if you are playing 
uh, a wicked person or a person representing evil forces um, if you you have to justify their actions it means that you should play a person who is the main villain of the story you have to play the person who is saving the world and only then you will be believable only then you will be you will be you will become a real actor because nobody wants to be um, a wicked person nobody wants to be a bad guy and you want to save the world and i think this is where the core of this um, of this propaganda uh, question lies because the moment you are trying to save the entire world or to change the world order and you see yourself as a victim, but you see us at the same time, uh, you see yourself as a force to change the world for good. I think that's a problem. You become, if we, if we are coming back to the theological discussion, we are coming, we are coming to the realm of, 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 of Messiah. You are speaking about, you become, you declare yourself a Messiah. And that's very problematic because the moment you do that, you and this is why in judaism i don't think you yourself can, can do that only others can do it for you but not you, you you yourself you cannot change the world you cannot save the world and i think that uh, this is what's happening now in russia russian russian uh propaganda machine and russian uh politicians would basically declare themselves messiah and they try to save this world nobody thinks that they're a bad guy uh, everybody thinks that they're saving the world. And I think that uh, it's, very, it's, it's a very problematic question for us, as in, especially in progressive Judaism and in Judaism in general, because we promote discussion. We promote as many opinions as possible. In Talmud, we preserve minority opinion. Well, actually, sometimes, and we know it from history, sometimes some opinions are dangerous. And and uh, how do you declare an opinion dangerous and i think that the for me the limit is that the moment when you when you declare yourself a messiah uh in one way or, or, or the other then you become dangerous and uh, yeah i'm not sure and i think that our role as communities as rabbis or just just ju just people is to call out when we see the person uh being obsessed with an idea of saving something saving the world because there is always a limit of what you can do alone it's fascinating what you've said because it actually reminds me of the nazis germany and it's so close to us the jewish people we just commemorated the yom Shoah and the loss of six million of, of jewish people and that's exactly what the nazis regime and hitler uh, was doing and it never I never saw it from this point of view as you put it today as messiah absolutely hitler and his people were saving the world. They were saving the world from the communists, they were saving the world from the Jews, they were liberating the, you know, um, the countries which belong to German people. And that actually in the whole experience in Ukraine helped me to understand how a tragedy on such a magnitude, of such a magnitude can actually can actually happen. And it's all starts, you know, it's all starts with, uh, um, as um, I think John Stuart Mill said, um, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So it starts with a few good people doing nothing about the evil, not calling out, as, as you just said, eager. But 
do you think that what happened in, in Ukraine affected the way you commemorated your Mashoa this year? Uh, what, what is your, you know, what is your opinion and reflection on the invasion of Ukraine? Igor, do you mind to ask you first to get first? Well, I think it's um, it's always a bit um, problematic to compare conflicts and, and compare different different historical moments because the moment I mean we know we know very well that uh, almost every serious debate online turns into a debate about Holocaust when it, when you're talking about Jewish people and uh, whoever is whoever you think is the bad guy in the conversation you call them out and say that oh you would be a Hitler you would support Hitler I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a very um, uh, very efficient and good discussion to have. Um, however, of course, I mean, we are inevitably uh, comparing our experiences with history and the, the Holocaust and Shoah uh, stories play such an important role in our synagogues. Uh, they, are they are survivors still, and they are uh, people who are, who, who are terrified of, uh, of what's happening in Ukraine today because we promised to remember, we promised never again. Uh, and here we are. And we thought that COVID was the major challenge to our, to our generation, but probably not. <laughs> probably what's happening now is the biggest challenge in our, of our generation. And uh, I also think that the lesson, the main lesson of Shoah was learned because what's happening in bordering countries to Ukraine now is a clear example of kindness, of uh, unprecedented help from just normal, ordinary people. And I think that, and this, and people tell, people, uh, Polish people constantly tell and often tell um, journalists and people who they help that because nobody helped us during the Second World War, it is our turn to help now. And I think that this is, this is, and I do think that some lessons have been learned. And I think that there, 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 is, a place, there is a place to be proud of, of, of what we've achieved as humanity. This is a fantastic positive message, huh? We could have just finished there, but I would like to ask Anna on, on her view. Oh, it's, it's really heartwarming to hear that. And I know that each of you have um, been over to those neighboring countries and experienced that firsthand. Um, in our service itself, we kept a, a fairly standard, I might say, uh, Yom HaShoah service, I think possibly because of, of what Igor said about um, that kind of um, fear of comparing conflict. Um, but certainly in, we had a class the night before, we, we do untangling our tradition and, and we had a class on, on the Shah, on the Holocaust, and um, we were talking about bystanders and whether that lesson had been learned that never again lesson um, and certainly the feeling within the class is that we're in some ways in that respect repeating history so I think that may be more of a reflection on what's happening in the UK and particularly in the last few weeks and the and the response to refugees and the trouble that Ukrainian refugees and all refugees actually have had um, coming into the UK um, and so Igor's reflections actually are a much more positive spin on uh, what's happening closer to Ukraine um, that are really appreciated and weren't something that we discussed about those neighbouring countries in that class. 
Yeah, and I can I can say as I was being on the recipient side as well that uh, it was so overwhelming just to know that people care. And uh, when my family and I were escaping uh, Ukraine, first Kiev and, and then Ukraine, there were so many people saying to me, "We wish we could do more." We just felt so helpless we couldn't do more. But I, you know, for the first time, I really experienced that the um, the power of support. It, while we were on the journey, those messages, I won't tell you about my phone bill. I kept it home. Everyone was asking me, how did you do that? You know, we had to switch off the ignition, you know, to save to save petrol because we didn't know, you know, whether we'll be able to to have enough uh, to cross the border. But the only thing which I did do is charging my phone. We had to argue because we had to take turns who's charging. But those messages, it literally you know, gave strength really great gave strength and that when i realized the solidarity the people's spirit the support it can't be underestimated and seeing all those volunteers from different faith group on the border they were not asked to be there they chose to be there they volunteered to be there that was probably for me the most heartening and uh, and the best the best experience which really restored my faith in humanity after all those horrible uh, moments of, of the beginning of the war and seeing what's happening now still there and around the world as well. But I wanted to ask you, as obviously myself, I found it really therapeutic going back to Warsaw and, and uh, working with, with the refugees. And just today I was in touch with them trying to help with a few projects. And many people told me that I need to do a therapy because I'm um, I've, I've been suffering from what is called survivor's guilt and I, I calculated that the therapy is going to be really expensive so I thought the best way probably to spend money just going over there and actually it proved much more therapeutic so I can highly recommend that but that that's something which again was an opportunity for me to give something back you know from what I received from other people and I wanted to ask you and I would like to ask Igor first what what have you been doing so far, we think can be done uh, to support the victims of the war in Ukraine. I think it's the first time in my life where I I felt that I had to do something, and uh, I know that we are uh, often talking about as as rabbis and in communities that action is the way. Some people pray in action and not in words, and. Um, this is the first time when I experienced it. Um, when the war started, I could not stay home. I went to uh, protests in in uh, in London, um, and that was very therapeutic. Just to know that you're not alone and that there are people like you. And um, since then, um, I'm currently I'm a co-chair of the. Um, World Union and European Union for Progressive Judaism Ukraine Crisis Fund. And uh, this is something, I mean, there are lots of projects that we are doing, and uh, I'm not going to use this uh, opportunity to, to, to self-promote, but this is something that uh, uh, was, this is probably the only thing that kept me going during the first uh, few weeks, because me being a Russian citizen, um, I probably offer, or also suffered from this guilt, uh, enormous guilt uh, of, of um, uh, connection with this power uh, that is destroying some cities and people now, which is very, very hard. And, uh, and the only thing I can, uh, in a way, justify myself now uh, is by saying that I've done something. And uh, 
luckily uh, there are lots of projects that are working and i i i, I can i yeah I, I can say that they are working and helping people and um and uh, this is something that uh, helps me to keep going thank you so much i think you can use it to sell promotion of the world union for progressive judaism uh, ukrainian crisis fund and you've done so much good work which which actually makes me feel so proud of you particularly being a russian citizen and having that courage to stand up to injustice and to stand up to tyranny it's it's scary because i still have my family in belarus and you just think when the time comes when you when you do speak out and it's really really difficult to do that and that's why seeing you being out there and standing for for you know for truth and for the right thing and standing up to this injustice and horrors uh, makes me feel so proud of you and also gives courage because courage is something which is so such an important thing in our human being so our human you know existence when one day some people have it and some people never have it and that's what i think is a distinction about you know do you remember in the talmud i forgot where it comes from when are you in a place uh, when people don't behave as human beings behave as a human being so that's um that's about you eager Thank you very much. Anna. I'm very aware in this conversation that I've had different experiences and I'm at a different proximity um, to the conflict in Ukraine, to the to the war in Ukraine. It's not conflict. Um, and I, there was an interesting discussion in an English-speaking forum of leaders, um, I hope that's vague enough, um, about whether or not people should go over to um, volunteer in places where there are refugees. And um, I sat on the side, after speaking with people in the know, um, I sat on the side of actually that's not a helpful place for, for me to be, at least. I don't, have a la I don't have the language, I don't speak Ukrainian, I don't speak Russian, and I would almost certainly just be in the way. Um, so that kind of um, saviour feeling, saviour syndrome, isn't it? Of I just want to go over and help, but actually it can't always be useful. So um, Eagle has been doing absolutely incredible work. And I know, Tanya, you also have been. I've donated to some charities and um, written to my MP. Um, I'm sure there's more I could be doing, but I, I, um, I haven't been doing very much. That's great to have you both on, on the podcast because we all do something very little or as much as we can. And that's what makes a difference. But what makes a difference and when we do whatever we can within, within our limits. So thank you so much, Anna. And the last question for today, just to round up this uh, really um, very, you know, very honest and uh, very thought-provoking discussion. Do you think that there is anything we can do to stop future dictatorships arising? Anna, do you want to go first? I, I've been thinking about this question. No, no, no. I think we, I, I wish I knew, um, because I think if, if with each one we're surprised or we, we hope it could have never happened. And I think that one thing I, I really notice is, I think I said it before, how desensitized we get to these, these little things that creep up and creep up. I don't know, I think it, it's, um, there's that story, I think it's a folk tale, but 
of um, a frog who um, wouldn't jump into the hot water. Um, and so it ju jumped into cold water and they boiled it around him. And I often feel that that's kind of the world that we're living in. And until the water's fully boiled, um, we don't pay attention. Um, and I don't know if there's a way, it seems to have happened throughout history that we wait for the water to be boiled to, to really pay attention. Um, and so the, the only way I can think of uh, to stop dictatorship, to stop these sorts of things happening is to try and be aware of the water boiling, uh, of the water, the, the heat rising um, before we get to boiling point and to do something about it before it gets to boiling point. Um, but throughout history, we've not been able to do that. Oh, thank you. Igor, what do you think? Yes, I, 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 will, I will quote Rabbi Anna Wilson and say that I wish I knew. Uh, and um, um, perhaps the, the, the best I can come up with is uh, to repeat that Mishnah in the place there where there are no people try to remain a human being. And I think this is something fundamental because if we are approaching this world from a very human perspective, not from a perspective of you know political dominance of of influence of, of 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 sphere of influence or anything, but just from a very human perspective, I think it's uh, I think it's very very important uh, to everything just uh, to see human being first, and then what you represent second, and uh, maybe even third, and um, you know when 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 we when we read this golden rule that the that then you shall love your neighbor as yourself and there's something there's something in it and uh, don't do anything that you wouldn't want to be done to you and i think that and the rest is commentary let's leave it there well thank you so much for this fascinating conversation and I would like to finish on that positive note. Let's try to be humans whenever we can and live according to our Jewish moral and ethical values and to be there for each other as well. Thank you very, very much for coming on the Progressively Jewish today. Thank you very much again to Rabbis Igor Zinkov and Anna Wolfson for coming on the Progressively Jewish podcast today. I would also like to thank Liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism and Leoberg College for supporting Progressively Jewish. Please share your thoughts with us on the Progressively Jewish Facebook page or by emailing us at progressivelyjewish at gmail.com. Our next episode will come out at the end of May, at the beginning of the months of Nisan, and will be led by my colleague, soon to be ordained, Rabbi David Yehuda Stern.